0: So as you're writing a sermon, it, you know you go through a number of different drafts, just like writing anything. And the first draft of this sermon <clears throat> um, had a bunch of jokes at the beginning, <laughs> and the, the, the present one doesn't. But as, I, <laughs> as I'm sitting with you today, I just want to tell them anyways because I think they're funny. So they they I promise, once upon a time they fit. It like there's a there's a pun in the psalm, and then we we start off some pun. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, but. I, just, I looked up Christian puns, Raven and I did, and there were some really funny ones. So I've just got three. <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, I hope that's okay. We can laugh together at ch- as church, right? Yeah? <laughs> um, so uh, the first one, I don't have them in my notes, so I have to remember them. On the fly decision. The first one, um, what is a dentist's favorite hymn? Crown him with many crowns. <laughs> in the same vein... Um, what is the salesperson's favorite passage of scripture? The Great Commission, of course. Yes? Yeah, a groan? All right, we're getting groans. I like that. Uh, <laughs> last one. This one, you, yeah, you need some real Bible knowledge. I mean, not real, like a little bit of Bible knowledge to understand it. But Boaz, the character of Boaz, um, what kind of a man was Boaz before he married? Any guesses? I, I just heard the answer. He was ruthless. <laughs> His wife was named, it was named Ruth. <laughs> Before he married her, he was ruthless. Okay, that's it. That's, those are the jokes. Um, obviously, you don't like my humor. That's okay. I'm not very funny. <laughs> sometimes. Maybe sometimes. Um, we are continuing this morning our sermon series on prayer. And you might remember from last week, um, I'm using this paradigm from Richard Foster to organize different types of prayer that we're learning about. And again, it's not that a particular form or function of prayer is, is better or that we need to pray in a certain way in order to, to reach God. It's nothing like that, but simply the fact that th- it can be helpful for us to learn about different ways that people have prayed, to, to expand our, our understanding, to expand our imagination on what it can look like to come to God relation, in, in relationship, to, to come to him in conversation, to listen to his voice, to speak to him. And so we're starting our first three weeks. We're talking about what Foster refers to as inward prayers. And they're called inward prayers not because we're directing the prayers towards ourselves or anything like that, They carry this title because they are prayers of inward transformation. These are prayers where we open ourselves up to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Last week, this week, next week, all about inwardly transformative prayers. This morning, we're talking about a prayer that has the potential to unlock springs of joy and love in your heart like you have never known before. It is, it is a central part of my experience of God's love, my experience of God's grace and mercy. It is, a, it is central to my growth as a Christian. Today, we are talking about confession. And I know that it might seem a little bit, maybe a bit of a surprise that, that when I talk about joy and love and, and, and excitement and beauty, that, that then I'm like, it's confession. Like, it's a surprise to some of us because... I don't know that confession is always strung together with ideas like joy and love. But if you don't take anything else away from today, remember this. And this, this is really what I believe. Confession is a gift. It is a blessing. It's, it is right there. It's this narrow, often untrod path through our fears and shame but into freedom and joy and love that goes beyond understanding. You don't need to take my word for it though. Right? Glenna shared this morning, it took a long time in her for the you know, forty years, right, to, to finally come to the understanding that we are free. And I bet you that a part of that process was confession. I know for me, she's nodding, there you go. I know for me it has been. To coming to that understanding of the the real freedom that we have in Christ. We walk through this. And and you don't just have to take it from me or from Glenna. Actually, this is the perspective of the psalmist, of the passage that she read this morning. This is Psalm 32, I'll, I'll read a part of it again. This is how it opens up. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, in whose spirit is no deceit. I love the way that the message puts it. So I'll read it again. So this is Eugene Peterson's, you know, translation of the Bible. He says, count yourself lucky. How happy you must be, you get a fresh start. Your slate's been wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you, and you're holding nothing back from him. These are the words of someone who has confessed their sins, right? Count yourself lucky. How happy you must be. In the next verse, after those first two, the author, who's, who's David in this psalm, we presume to be David, he talks about his story. How before he confessed, He felt a crushing weight. He was losing sleep. We don't know specifically what was weighing on him in Psalm 32, but we know that it was hard. And then in verse 5, we find the solution. He says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So Instead of trying to hide or ignore Or dissociate, or forget, or cover up, David brought everything into the light. He acknowledged his wrongdoing and he received forgiveness. Sometimes we say sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? This is the core of confession an admission of guilt or shame or wrongdoing, and because of the repentance and contrition in his heart, he was forgiven. And that brings us right back, full circle, to the beginning of the psalm. He is rejoicing. God's holding nothing against him. And a part that I think we often miss, but is so precious, and he is holding nothing back from God. He doesn't need to. He knows that he is totally seen, and he is entirely loved. And this is the real gift of confession, right? I've told you it's a gift. Here's the gift. In the practice of confession, we open our hearts to become recipients of love. And I'm telling you that when it comes to inward transformation, that's what these prayers are about, when it comes to the stirring of hearts, there is nothing that is more powerful than God's radical love of his children. Prayers, of confession are no small act. They are courageous and vulnerable prayers. They require of us great faith, right? Because we have to believe, if we're going to pray a prayer of confession, we have to believe that God is, is so good that on the other side of it, he's still going to love us, <laughs> Right? If we're going to confess to him, we have to believe that at the end of it, he is good enough to keep loving us, not as our best selves, but at our lowest points. That he could look upon the part of me that I look at and I struggle to love, that I pull away from, that I want to cover up and hide, the part of me that I I don't think is worthy of love, that God could look at it, the holiest of holy people could go and could look at that, and respond with a never-ending flood of love and compassion. Confession is brave, it is vulnerable, and it is absolutely worth the risk. So how do we pray prayers of confession? Well, it can be really simple. Like just talking to God as a friend, we would say, God, I messed up. I can see now how I was selfish or angry or rude or whatever it might be. Fill in the blank for yourself. Please forgive me. That's it. (laughs) But if you're like me, it can be helpful to have some more words for moments when I can't find my own. And that's where another Psalm of David can maybe be a big help to us. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn along with me to Psalm 51. In Psalm 32, we didn't know what the sin was that David was confessing, what the sin was that he was celebrating freedom from. In this one, we do. The most generous interpretation would be uh, adultery and murder, right? He decided that he liked another man's wife, he got her pregnant, and When he realized that he wouldn't be able to cover up what happened, he used his position of power as a king to have her husband killed. The whole story is written up in 2 Samuel 11. If you'd like to read it yourself, you can do that uh, at another time. But in the next chapter, chapter 12, the prophet comes To David and calls him out for what he's done and after hearing the accusation and he kind of tricks David he tells him this story and about about a man who stole another man's sheep even though he was super wealthy and David's so angry the person who did this should be killed and then Nathan says it's you you did it this is you right and he goes he listens to the accusation and David replies I've sinned against the Lord And immediately, immediately after that, there's nothing in between, right? Immediately after that, Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. It's as simple as that. But out of this scenario comes Psalm 51. And we won't read the whole thing, but I commend it to you. It is worth reading and reflecting on this week. But I'll give you just some parts of it. So this is, um, I'm going to start at verse 1, I'm going to read through. Um, so he starts off, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. So he begins, right, God, have mercy on me, forgive me, right? I know that I need it. There's an acknowledgement in that. I require your mercy, God. And then he says, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. There's the faith, Right? That's the faith. I believe that you are a God who is compassionate. I believe in your great compassion. And based upon that, would you please, again, forgive me. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He feels conviction in his heart, right? He, he, he can't get away from it. God, I know it. It's there. It's crushing skip forward to, to verse 7. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Right? He trusts in God's power to forgive him. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Again, this is the fruit of confession, right? Freedom, joy, gladness. Because it's been gone for him. God, let me hear it again. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. He uses that same imagery in Psalm 32 that this crushing feeling when he was walking in hiddenness. He says, "All of that that was is this this image of resurrection. Can you let that brokenness turn to joy? Let it rejoice." Then he says, "Hide your face from my sins, blot out all of my iniquities, take it away. I can't look at it anymore." And then here's the part that that Jen read for us earlier and invited us to pray. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So he confessed his sins and asked to be made clean. And then he goes one step further, right, that last little bit. He asks God to change his heart. He, in a tangible, practical way, invites the transforming work of confession to begin in him. God, would you you do this for me? Create in me a clean heart, God. Bring me back into your joy and sustain me as I seek to follow you. So because my conviction is that prayer is something that is best learned about in the doing Rather than in the thinking, I'm going to give us a moment, if you're feeling brave, to pray this prayer. And if you were here last week, you might remember we talked about praying the examine, right? Search me and know me, God. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As we prayed for for communion, that's what we prayed, as we prepared our hearts. If you don't have something specific in your mind to bring to confession, maybe you can begin with that. God, search me and know me. Bring to my mind if there is any, if there is anything in me, any offensive way. And then, and then maybe, yes, yeah, so you can begin inviting God to search and know and lay something on your heart. And if there is something laying on your heart, if he's given you that, bring it right back to him. And then you can close with the words that are up on the screen. Psalm 51 is verse 10 and 12 is create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your willing, the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. So I'm going to give us just a moment to practice that together. Examine our hearts. If you put something in your heart, bring it right back to him, and then ask for that transforming work to begin. Lord Jesus, create in us new, clean hearts. Renew your spirit in us again today. Help us to know and feel and experience the depth and breadth of your love. And spur us onward into obedience, into following after you wherever you may call. Forgive us of our sins and set us free. You ask this in your name. Amen. Now, in any other sermon in this series, this is where we would finish up, right? We've talked about confession, how it's really a gift. We've looked at a couple examples of it and in the Bible, and we've had a chance to practice it. That's, that's the, you know, the form, generally, of this sermon series. Um, As far as that's concerned, either the topic will be wrapped up. But I don't think that I can talk about confession without bringing up one other passage of Scripture. This is James 5.16, and this is going to take us out of the realm of prayer and into our relationships. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Here's the thing. If you are going to start a regular practice of prayerfully confessing to God, he may begin to call you to confess to the people around you. Now, before you start panicking, I am not going to ask anyone to confess their sins to anyone else during this service. We do participation. I invite you to be vulnerable, but I am never going to ask you to do something here on a Sunday that has the potential in any way, shape, or form to blow up in your face and hurt you. As a pastor, it is one of those heartbreaking things that while the church should be a place that is safe for people to come and bring their difficulties without shame and to meet the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, it has not always been that way, right? Confession is risky work. We need to take steps to make sure that we're safe. And this means that when we choose to confess to a fellow Christian, we make sure that that's a person that we can trust. And because we can never be totally certain then it wouldn't, then it wouldn't be trust, it's also something that we do very prayerfully. That being said, with all of the inherent risks of judgment and betrayal, I do really believe that this is the place where the rubber meets the road when it comes to the transformational power of confession. I remember, I remember talking with a mentor about this idea, um, and he started telling me a story about the movie The Martian. I don't know if you've seen The Martian. Do you have any nods? Yeah, the premise of the film, it's based upon a book, not a true story. Uh, the premise of the, of the film, though, is um, there's this uh, space mission going to Mars, uh, manned mission. And uh, this gentleman ends up there on Mars. He survived. There was a catastrophic thing that happens. He survived, but he's by himself. And he, th- he believes that they're going to send help, but he has to figure out how to survive for the amount of time that it takes, you know, us to send a, 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 a spacecraft to Mars, <laughs> right? He has to figure out somehow how can he survive. And he's only got a certain amount of food and he's only got a certain amount of all of these sorts of things. And so in the midst of that, our main character realizes food shortage is going to be a big deal. He has probably got enough water, but food is, is, is an issue. And so he decides he needs to figure out how to cultivate food, right? So what does he do? Well, he you know, gets the Martian soil and he brings it inside of his you know, safe area so there's oxygen. the right mix of gases, and then he's going to plant this, you know, try to plant potatoes. You chop off the end of potato and plant it. you can grow potatoes. He's going to try to plant them for himself, but he realizes that the Martian soil is not fertile, right? If he just, he doesn't have the right nutrients, he doesn't have the right anything. So what does he do? Well, he goes, you know, back in the ship to where all of their waste is kept, right? And he finds some (laughs) freeze-dried... excrement, and he rehydrates it, and he mixes it into the soil, and then it's able to produce life, right? It, it's, it's activated, and he's able to plant the potatoes and grow, and it like saves his life. My mentor, he's telling me this story, and I'm kind of like, where are we going, right? <laughs> talking about confession. He says, you know, church is kind of like this. If you can't bring your, and he said an impolite word, but I'll say manure. <laughs> if you can't bring your manure, then you're never going to grow, And this rings so true to my experience. I can't tell you how many times I have confessed my sins to God and I have intellectually known that I am forgiven. I mean, the Bible tells us that, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know that to be true. I've confessed my sins and I still feel weighed down. And overwhelmed. Maybe that was your experience today. Maybe we today, we prayed and you said, oh, this thing is on my heart. I really need to confess this. And you confessed it to God. And there was this hope, right, that like, boom, we're going to be at the beginning of Psalm 32. Boom, blessed is, the, how lucky are you, right? That's where we're going to be. And that wasn't it. Maybe that happened. I've been there. I can remember that so many times. And I can also remember with like crystal clarity. Crystal clarity, the first time that I confessed my sins to another person. And they responded with love and grace. And they looked me in the face and they said these words. They said, Jeff, your sins are forgiven. And something like broke in me. In a good way. Something that that needed to break. It needed to be broken so that finally, truly, healing could begin. Because here's the thing about confession, right? And we've come full circle. Here's the thing about confession. It opens our hearts to love, yeah? Where before, I could write off every kind thing that that person would say to me, right? Because I'd say, well, if they really knew they really knew about how selfish I can be sometimes, they wouldn't say that nice thing. Confessing to them and then receiving their love, I couldn't deny it anymore. It was coming for me and there was no stopping it. John Lynch in his book, The Cure, uses this metaphor of, of living in hiddenness as like wearing a mask. He says, we walk around, we walk around with our masks on, and they protect us, and they do, right? Because, because when the, the people say the hard things or the difficult things to us, we can say, well, if they really knew, right? Those same words, that same phrase, if they really knew what I've been through, if they really knew how I this, that, whatever, and they can bounce off. And it protects us, right? And John Lynch, he says, but the problem is that the mask does the exact same thing to love, right? For as long as I am wearing the mask when someone says something good, someone says something kind, someone says something loving, loving to me, I can say, well, if they really knew. The same thing that protects us from hurt is also protecting us from love. And the way we take that mask off is confession. Friends, I have lived that masked experience. And I have, I have stepped out of it into vulnerability, and it is terrifying. It felt like dying. <laughs> but this is the truth of the gospel. There is no resurrection without first death. And I can say firsthand that I never want to go back to hiding. I think Glenna, she shared earlier, I don't think you want to go back to, <laughs> to not feeling the freedom that we have to be loved When we share our brokenness. Our brokenness is is the on-ramp. It's the entry code into the family of God, right? And here's the really good news. This is not work that we do on our own, right? We need Jesus desperately. I don't think that we can do a good job confessing without Jesus, And I don't think we can do a very good job receiving the confessions of our brothers and sisters in Christ without him either. But if we are brave, and we follow our good shepherd, you may find yourself living in the experience of David in Psalm 32. Count yourself lucky. How happy you must be. You get a fresh start. Your slate is wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you, and you are holding nothing back from him. Amen? Let's respond together in worship. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.